I wanted to deal with Leviticus tonight. We were, we, I, I laid the foundations for Leviticus last week. And um, I, 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 I've got notes here, and I was thinking about it. When I, when I think about Leviticus, when people say, well, you're preaching through Leviticus, how interesting is kind of their response because Leviticus is Leviticus. <laughs> um, but Leviticus has to deal with the first time in Israel's history God defines a set of sacrifices. Now, you and I um, sit and say, well, you know, a pigeon or a lamb or a bullock. Um, I, what the heck has that got to do? You know, we start killing chickens out back. Uh, somebody going to call the cops. If you look at it, you'll find out in Leviticus there are um, sacrifices to him. And there are five that are outlined in the first part of Leviticus. The first three are voluntary, and the last two are mandatory. You have a burnt offering, grain offering, a peace offering. Those are voluntary. There's no stipulation as to when. Then you have the sin offering and the trespass offering. Okay? And one of the things that I think about especially in our day and age today is when you think about these five offerings burnt offering grain offering the peace offering the sin offering and the trespass offering when you read those uh, you sit there and most christians today sort of glaze over because i'm not going to raise a, a lamb that is perfect i'm not going to worry about a bullock i'm not worried about whether i'm going to give him a goat or a, a sheep or whatever i is i'm going to do but you missed it because all five of those offerings and they're dealing with the individual there's another set that deals with the priesthood and then there's another set that deals with the nation they all have one thing in common they are all a form of worship to God. The first three that I gave you dealt with a penitent heart. Uh, we hate that word, so I'll whisper it. A repentant heart. It's a heart that is sad for what it has done before God. The other side is a thankful heart. Um... I have heard a lot of description of quote-unquote worship. Very seldom do I ever hear worship described as God would call it. Because worship demands a sacrifice. And a lot of the stuff that you hear today that is quote-unquote worship has absolutely no cost to it. So how can it be worship? When I think, hear the word worship, there's a word that is encompassed in it, and it means that the person is worthy. Therefore, I worship. When I read through this, 
in Leviticus. Um, it's evident, especially like in verse 2 of chapter 1, that three of them are completely voluntary. Uh, what I call a uh, free will offering. There is no number of times to offer it, and there is um, anything that you wish to bring forth on how to offer it. Um, This is fascinating in the history of Israel because in the history of Israel, they've never had this before. I look around the church today and I hear so many people define for me worship. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't find a music worship. And probably 90% of the church in America today, if you ask them about worship, the first thing that will come out of their mouth is what? Music. And if you're truly honest with yourself, biblically, when I come into the position of worship, knowing that what I have done, whatever it is, is a sacrifice, out of that I will sing Um, I've met with I don't know how many pastors and they all tell me that, you know, well, so many ask me that, well, who is your worship leader? And I just smile at them and I say, I am. And they look at me like the next question is, is, well, what instrument do you play? And I said, it's easy. I play the Bible. And that sounds harsh. (laughs) But I just had a discussion this week. A guy says, well, Terry, you are so blunt about everything. You need to understand you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I just smiled at him and said, Michael, I'm trying my best to blow up the bathtub. The baby's drowning. And he didn't really understand what I was saying. But yet I look at the book of Leviticus and he shows me his holiness and what he demands for worship. I'll have people who will call me and say, can you tell me something about your church? And I said, well, what would you like to know? And they will ask me, uh, what style of worship do you have? And my response is very standard now. We have a living sacrifice style of worship, which is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And if that does not fit your format, we have 54 churches in Castle Rock that I'm sure will fit your format. Okay? I don't share that to be harsh. I share that because I want to share with you a text tonight, and it comes from Romans 6. And Paul's argument in chapter 6, verse 1 is, What shall we say then? 
are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And his conclusion in chapter 5 is this. I have been justified by the death of Jesus Christ. And because of that justification, his grace has poured forth from heaven and it is on me. And you say, wow, cool. And where sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. And so the argument would be this. Well, if there's more grace where there's more sin, then I should sin more so I can have more grace. And tell me I'm wrong with that argument. Or Paul's wrong with that argument. I see it all over this place. Paul's response in verse 2 is, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, and, and I've watched people wrestle with this text and, and try to use analogies in this text and try to use allegory in this text. And when I go back to the original language, there is no analogy in this text. There is no allegory in this text. He says that if you have been truly saved by faith in the living Jesus Christ, then you have died to your old self and you are now with the new self, which is in Jesus Christ. This is a, this quest, this text, this understanding gets me into more trouble than any single understanding in scriptures. I've dealt with the second coming of Christ. I've dealt with the rapture of the church and I've had conflict with that. Spiritual gifts I get into trouble with. You know, do I believe in tongues? Absolutely, I believe in tongues. I don't believe we need them. But I believe that there was a spiritual gift of tongues. Um, do I believe in healings? Absolutely. Do I believe that there's a spiritual gift of healings? Absolutely. I do not believe it's being used today. Okay? So I can just go down and get... But here's the one that always gets me into trouble. Okay? The one that causes me more grief than any single issue. Are you saved and how do you know it? Because let me tell you something. Something as important as salvation, I am convinced that God who spoke creation into being doesn't hide it from you. But he doesn't hide it from those who would be in your sphere of influence either. If you're saved, there should be no doubt in anybody's mind that you're saved. Because you should be different than the world. Verse 3, it's funny, my wife gets on me at times because she says, there's times, Terry, you seem very sarcastic. And, and I was convicted of that at times because I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to be portrayed as sarcastic. And then it dawned on me, Paul was mo- one of the most sarcastic people that I ever run into. And, and I hang out a lot with Paul. Uh, I just spend a lot of time with him. Um, he's kind of a, he's a very dear friend of mine, actually. And he says, do you not know? That would be sarcasm. Okay. He's saying, you know what? You tell me, you know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Okay. The word baptized for a Jew 
Okay, when you, when you hear the word baptized, it literally has to do with pickling. What? When you take a cucumber and you stick it in whatever that stuff is, and you can't, what is it? Brine. It turns into a what? A pickle. Okay, now, I like cucumbers. I do not like pickles. Okay, I look at pickles as weren't good enough to be a cucumber. Oh, well, it's like raisins. I love grapes. A raisin couldn't make it as a grape. And so it becomes a raisin. And, you know, and everybody, what? Anyway, but to baptize means to take the entity put it in this circumstance and now the same entity has now changed to identify to what it has been immersed in. Okay? That was the Jewish mindset. To the Gentile mindset, it said that what was here at one time has been solely and completely immersed in this at one time. Though it was this over here at one time, it is now identified with this now. So when I read baptized, baptismal, He says, do you not know that all of us who have been identified into Christ Jesus have been identified into his death? Do you know what he just said? When Christ died for a believer, when the believer identifies with Christ, what happens to the the believer? They died. They're done. You will still have a cucumber sitting there. But it looks like a pickle. I mean, you understand that at one point it was a cucumber. But now it's a pickle. So it is completely identified as something different, isn't it? I mean, very few people will cut a cucumber up and put it on their hamburger. But a lot of people will cut a pickle up and put it on their hamburger. Crazy people. Look what he says next in verse 4. Therefore, you know what that means, right? Because of what I've just said, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism unto his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. We have been immersed in the identity of who? Christ. So your identity is where? It is dead. It is history. It is gone. Let me give you a really quick one here because I want you to think about this. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we have also been in the likeness of his resurrection. The word united there, um, 
United in the Greek has two, two words. One is son and one is meta. Okay. Son means with. Okay. If I'm walking with someone down the street and they're right beside me, you can say that person is with Terry. Okay. But at some point, you can separate the two, can't you? I mean, I can go left, they can go right, or they can continue on or go backwards or whatever. There's another term in the Greek, meta. And in the Greek text here in chapter chapter 6, verse 5, it's perfect tense, an action that determines the present. Okay. What it means is, and this is the best way I can hear, I've ever heard it described. It's like uh, if you take a biscuit, okay, if you were going to make scratch biscuits, okay, please uh, do not quiz me on scratch biz and don't tune me out. I don't know how to make a, a scratch biscuit. I know how to eat a scratch biscuit. I don't know how to make one, but I know that you have to have butter. I know you have to have flour. Um, and you have to have some other stuff and, 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 and you bring it all together because flour is very dry, but when you get done, it's very greasy. Uh, and, and then you roll it up. Okay. If you roll all of that into what you're getting ready to make as a biscuit, it's all there. All right. You could theoretically separate it back to its individual parts, but if you have preheated the oven at 400 and you take that biscuit flour and dough and you stick it in that oven for about 15 or 20 minutes, when you bring it out of there, you can never separate the individual ingredients again. It's impossible. Right? Everybody said. That he's making me hungry. <laughs> I share that with you because the term that is used there says that you are united with him. It means you have been meta. You cannot separate the individual ingredients anymore. That's why God can look down. And when God looks down from heaven upon any of us who are truly saved, what does he see? Everybody's afraid to say it. A Jesus biscuit. (laughs) But that's really what it is. When when God looks down from heaven, what does he see? Christ. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. I told you that I get into trouble for asking this question. Are you saved? Why? Because if you're saved, I should be able to see a... A Jesus biscuit. And let me tell you something. They stand out. They stand out in a crowd. And it isn't a matter of whether you got the little bumper sticker or the little fish thing on your, your fender or whatever. Those who are united with Christ stand out. And I want to share this with you because it says we have become united with him. We have meta with him and the likeness of his death. What does that mean? 
It is no longer us anymore. It's no longer me anymore. And certain we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. So that means that I get to be resurrected at some point. Not yet. But the ingredients are there. Knowing this out of the old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be what? Slaves to sin. A true Christian is easy to spot. Why? What controls them? Well, it's easy. I can tell you. I can tell you what a true Christian is by what doesn't control them. Sin doesn't control them. It doesn't say that they can't sin, but they are not controlled by it. We have been buried with him through baptism unto death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. We who are called by the Lord's name now have the responsibility. I I said we. It ain't the pastor's responsibility. It ain't the youth pastor's responsibility. It is we who are Jesus biscuits are to help him walk in the newness of life. He will stumble. But you know what's really cool? That I know emphatically. He will help some of us. Walk after we've stumbled. That's how cool God does it. Because we like to think, well, I've arrived. No, you haven't. You're still on this planet. If you're still on this planet, you haven't arrived. When you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. Then you can say, I have arrived. Up until that time, you will walk around and stub your toe and knee and nose and whatever else. Elbows, you name it. And there's times that you'll be sitting there going, ow. There's times you're going to sit there and go, I don't feel saved. And you know what? God will put people in your life who will come along and say, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. And that's why when I share with you what a privilege it is to baptize someone, because when he steps into this water, he says, it is no longer I who live, for I have been immersed into Christ's death. And he'll come out of that water and he will say, and I will walk in the newness of life because it is a precursor to what I get in resurrection life. I already know that I'm saved. And what I am going to do tonight has nothing to do to add to my salvation, but it is for you and I, because God has called you tonight to be here, to have the privilege to say, that kid said, I am dead, Christ is now alive, and the newness that you see in my life is the person of Jesus Christ, it is not me. It doesn't say I'm perfect. But it says, I want you to help me walk. But understand this. God will use that young man to help every one of us walk. That's why I cherish the body of Christ. Because every Christian I've ever run into helps me walk. Okay? So, I need to take this off because I don't want to electrocute either one of us. I share that with you because I get people who say, well, you're a Baptist, therefore you... 
No. I baptize because the Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Interesting concept. Baptizing in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? No, I don't believe I need to hold him down three times because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. So I don't have to... Did it take? All right, and I don't... Hang on, we'll get it done. Please understand something here. Baptism does not save you. Please understand that. Okay? Baptism is a public announcement of an inward reality. Write that down. That that came out pretty good, didn't it? Okay, record that, because I... Wow, that's that's pretty good. (laughs) Huh. All right, and, and that's what I want you guys to think. I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and we're finished for the evening. Father, your mercies are new every day. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Father, thank you that you have drawn his heart, that, Father, you have overwhelmed him. You have invaded his soul by the person of your spirit, to draw him into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, thank you that you have graced us who are gathered here tonight to witness this and given us the privilege of seeing a young man stand forth in the promises that you have given. Father, thank you that this young man now, now, Lord, will be helping so many to walk in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, I lift up his mother to you. The blessing that she has to see her son immersed in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, to see what you've done with her daughters. Father, what you continue to do with her daughters. And Father, the peace that you have given to that family that surpasses understanding. The peace that first and foremost is with you and then your peace which shows us life from your perspective. Thank you, Father. Your ways are not our ways. Your timing is not our timing. And yet you've drawn us tonight. Our paths have crossed and now, Lord, may we who are called by your name Walk shoulder to shoulder till that day each of our faiths become sight to your glory. Father, may we strive to walk in holiness and purity of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In your glory. Amen.